Welcome everybody back to another episode of a big dudes in the trenches. As the tweet said, if you saw that, uh, Bug and Tug are still sidelined for this one. So we have the unthinkable, the return of the jug. Welcome back, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> nice to be back. Nice to be asked back, to be honest. Yeah, last episode was too much fun. I couldn't hold you back any longer. We needed more jug on the show. <laughs> so that's, that's what really happened. And uh, we have a actually kind of a massive show today. Uh, there's a lot of things mm. that happened this past weekend. Uh, so we're going to be here a, a good minute talking some football across not only the NFL, not only college football and the FBS level, but also Division two, Division three. There's news. There's things happening, and then we'll get all the way down to the CFL after a while. There's a, a little bit of something for everybody here in this one. Absolutely, can't wait to dive into it all with you. Well, unfortunately, before we do that, I do want to start off with something a little bit serious. Um, if you haven't heard the news. Today, this morning, as we're recording this, uh, there are three players for the University of Virginia who have passed away due to fatal gunshot wounds from a former teammate of theirs. Uh, this is a really bad situation, and truly, truly my heart was breaking when I saw this news. I, there's nothing else that can really be said. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything, but I know for sure I'd like us to start off with a moment of silence. Lavelle Davis Jr., Deshaun Perry, Devin Chandler, you'll certainly be missed. And it is very unfortunate who's coming out of Virginia today. Yeah, very sad. Very sad. So, with a little bit of perspective in us, I guess it's time to go ahead and start talking mm. some football. Uh, from one crime yeah. to another, I guess we should start off with Deshaun Watson. <laughs> oh my goodness! That's so terrible! Oh I feel god. so bad for that. <laughs> oh my god! The, this this situation from a football perspective, my god! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it, uh, another thing of like, what do you say about this? <laughs> I podcast so plenty about this in the off season. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is allowed to start practicing today as of the time we're live he will be eligible to play for the first time in two weeks from now week 13 against the houston texans uh that definitely wasn't planned definitely didn't see that one coming that's for sure <laughs> yeah i'm not not sure how much like wwe roger goodell like watched sort of growing up and and coming up as a person but this feels like something ripped out of the wwe 
you know, I feel like we're going to have the Deshaun Watson music, whatever that is, um, playing as he enters the field. Like, this is contrived. That like, you know, you could have picked any number of games to to suspend him, and you pick this one. I'm Something trying to special. imagine Deshaun Watson music, and all I can come up with is a a sexual assault type beat, and it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't think yeah. of one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll I'll leave my jokes here at the risk of you know alienating the audience. <laughs> Well, <laughs> there were some injuries this week. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't play. Cooper Cup got injured during the game against those Cardinals. Uh, you know, some other things, most of it seems relatively minor. I know, uh, wow, completely blanking on the uh, defensive player's name. There's a guy, Chase Young. Yep, I was like, Ohio State defensive end. I'm trying to think of one of the Bosa brothers. It's not them. Yeah, Chase Young is still on IR. He will not be playing tonight, uh, but he should be back relatively soon. I didn't see too much other news, though, out of the NFL, other than just a fantastic slate of games. Actually, this weekend's probably the best games we've seen all season so far. Yeah, like it was an incredible lineup. Um, I I feel like, the, the season actually has been underrated in a way. Like there's been a lot of weeks where I've been, but you know, before it's happened, going, oh, I don't know about this slate of games. And then we've had some really close matches. We've had some upsets and I feel like we got all of that again, as my dog goes off its head here. I don't know if you can hear that in the background. That's just the, that's just the Yukon Huskies from later in the show. Um, yeah. So I'm ve- very excited to, to get into this slate because another exciting one. Let's go ahead and jump to it then. I think the best way to talk about some of these games is to look at the games that we picked. This is our pick'em records earlier this season so far. Have you been picking NFL games like I know you have for college football? Yeah, I actually have. I, I, I'm in a pick'em competition um, with some friends and family. Um, I really don't know if you can hear my hellhound in the background, the world's smallest security right. dog going off. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, as long as it's it's not too bad, we'll push on. Um, so, I, yeah, I have been picking. I was just trying to find my record um, for the season. It's on an app. I'll if You, you go ahead All with right. what you've we'll, got to say. We'll I'll see going, if I can find going. mine. <laughs> uh, we'll come back around to the records at the end of this anyway. This is where we were at the beginning of the week before any of the weekend's games. Uh, Of course, we don't pick Thursday night, which actually was an interesting matchup. The Falcons and the Panthers. The Panthers do win this one 25-15. And looked like P.J. Walker was going to be named the starter the rest of the season. Uh, He had a high ankle sprain. Yeah, so (laughs) we'll see some more Baker Mayfield, unfortunately, because the Panthers are much better with P.J. Walker, got to say. Well, and unfortunately, too, from a Panthers perspective, um, in terms of the draft capital, they have to give up to the Browns back the other way because I have a feeling that's a reason why um, Mayfield had a pretty short leash this season was that, you know, depending on the amount of time he plays, the amount of games he plays in, uh, I think that that draft pick back the other way uh, increases. So uh, Mm. I think they would have been happy to have him sit on the bench as long as possible. Uh, of course, 
I'm never picking against the spread in a Fal- in a Thursday night football game again because I took the Falcons in this <laughs> and they were never really in it. Um, my big takeaway from my, my big takeaway from the Panthers was: Would you ever ever spend high draft capital again on a running back? Because you know you trade away Christian McCaffrey and Deontay Foreman comes in and just looks like an absolute bulldozer. It, almost every week he's played. Um, there's been a few like this this season where you're like, man, I, 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 and I've got my own feelings about Pittsburgh using a number one pick to draft Najee Harris. Not that I dislike Najee Harris, but when you've got other needs on your team, like first round running back feels like an absolute luxury to me. Yeah. And I know at this point, most people feel that way about running backs. I would say there are a select few who are capable of doing enough on the field where it becomes worth it. The Mm. best example of that in the NFL right now would be Christian McCaffrey. When he's on the field, he is (laughs) one of the best players in the entire league at any position. Mm. That's worth a high draft pick. That's worth a first rounder. Saquon Barkley. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit overdrafted. He doesn't catch as well as some other running backs, doesn't have any kind of a route tree accessible to him and doesn't even have a a power element to his game. Maybe you could argue he was overdrafted. I would still probably take that kind of a player in the first round, though. He's extremely Mm -hmm. talented. And when he's been healthy again, it's absolutely been worth it. So it depends on the player. It depends on the team and depends on the scenario. But I would say... To make a blanket statement like that is probably never going to be <laughs> the best option. Yeah, that's fair. And I think you're right. Like the situation matters a lot. Like for the Bills this year, you know, or, or teams that is that feel that they're there and it's like, well, let's just, you know, sprinkle in uh, a first round running back to really help get us over the line. Like I understand right. that. Um Fully. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You can't just make a blanket statement. Could we make a blanket statement about Marcus Mariota? <laughs> I'm certainly game? tempted to. I'm certainly tempted to. <laughs> Arthur Smith has come out and said that there's no way we're changing quarterbacks. I just have to say, is Desmond Ritter potentially the worst quarterback in NFL history? If that's, <laughs> if that's actually the case. <laughs> Well, my God, that that commando roll throw um, by Marcus Mariota at the end, like, I, I don't know, you talk about, you know, yeah, that's meme-worthy. <laughs> that's meme-worthy. Um, talk about quarterback instincts. Like, what are we doing there? What, there, what was there going is, through the mind? I, there's a great account on Twitter. I don't remember the handle, but it's like art, but sports sports but make it art yeah. and there's they just okay. take these like like iconic pictures of nfl games or nba games or whatever and try to compare it to paintings from like the 1600s 17th they did one for that play and it's just so beautiful it's so beautiful truly yeah, a imagine. renaissance painting marcus mariota <laughs> flipping over trying to get the ball out of sands <laughs> oh far out so yeah, we, no, did we did make picks. We did make picks for the Chargers 49ers, which Sunday night uh, started off a lot better than it ended. I have to say, I think the biggest reason for that would be 
all the injuries piling up along the middle of that Chargers defensive line, the 49ers were able to just run the ball all over the place that second half. Yeah, they, they really did stomp on them uh, in that second half. And another great example um, from the weekend of of all different sort of levels of football, how important running the ball is. If you can run the ball, it just gives you so many more options. Um, and if you can't stop it, you know, you're pretty much cooked. And the Chargers found that out in the second half. They really hung in there with San Fran. Jimmy G still makes me so nervous for the 49ers because if he's going to miss someone, he's missing high. And when he's making those throws over the middle of the field and you're like, oh my God, this is just going to sail right over the receiver into the hands of a safety. Um, right. But he got away with them on the week, uh, on Sunday night. Uh, I mean, Brandon Ayuk having that sort of guy catching the ball is a plus. Yeah. The charges are frustrating to me. Um, Brandon Staley, I think, was quote they quoted Brandon Staley in the broadcast as having been frustrated with sort of the level of disrespect. You know, we're five and three, and no one's talking about us. Right. And it's games and like this, this that I feel like, <laughs> yeah, like, and and there's a Twitter account I follow at um, Draft Vogel on Twitter, and he made the point of like, you know, this is another game in which the Chargers are really in it or up at halftime. And then they no-show in the second half. And you start to wonder about like the the, the adaptability of the coaching in, in the right. second half. And I, I'm certainly not Brandon Staley's biggest fan. And it's games like this where it's a six-point game and, and you fall short by that on the road. These, these are wins that can help you secure a playoff spot. Um, and so a really important one for San Francisco in that division as they try and catch the Seahawks. Absolutely. Commanders at Eagles is happening right now. As we speak, the Philadelphia Eagles just scored again. So they're taking a 13 to seven lead, seven point lead pending for them. Uh, I will have to say though, we did all pick the 49ers. I didn't mention that before. So good on us. It was 16, 10 at halftime, but then, you know, 22, 16, 49ers pulled out. Good for us. (laughs) Tick, 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 tick. (laughs) <laughs> we also picked three other <laughs> games to watch that were not prime time uh, unless you want to count mm. Germany as prime time I guess it kind of was by itself up there at like 9.30 a.m. Eastern uh, yeah Buccaneers Seahawks definitely a success for the NFL the German experiment uh, absolutely worked out exactly probably better than they could have hoped for I heard there were 3 million plus ticket requests for this game. Insane number. They were also drinking pints mm. at a time, which is incredible. I wish we could have German beer prices in stadiums here. <laughs> That's personal beef of mine with stadiums. Uh, and before uh, I turn yeah. over for your analysis here, I just want to say this is kind of in- impressive. Uh, the Buccaneers did win, which gives Tom Brady his fourth different country to have won an NFL game in. Uh, of course, the United States, Mexico, England, and now Germany. That's that's nuts. That's insane. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast earlier in the week, and Ike Taylor of, of the Steelers uh, was on, and 
I don't know, they, they were having a chat about greatest quarterbacks or, or, you know, whatever it was. And he said, Brady's not even the greatest of all time. It's just like, he's just a walking statue. Like he's, 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 he's a living myth, you know? And, and I think that's, that's true. He, he is, he's, he's, he's impossible to compare to anyone else because the records he has, the numbers he's put up, the, the achievements unlocked, it's, it's insane. Um, and I've really appreciated watching Brady play the last few seasons, even his last couple at, uh, New England, as much pain as he caused my Pittsburgh Steelers across the 2000s and 2010s, like at a certain point, you have to just develop this begrudging um, sort of acceptance and respect for him and the Patriots because no one's done it better than than the Patriots did and no one's done it better on an individual level than Brady. And it felt to me like they got right um, – on that, that final drive against the Rams last weekend, going down True. that two-minute drill to win it. It felt like they unlocked something and they came out and, you know, this game was a five-point margin, but this game probably should have actually been about 24 to three. There were two really <laughs> silly picks that the the Bucks threw. One, you know, rolling Fournette out to the right like a run play and then having him throw back across his body. They actually ran that play earlier in the game as a run and Brady was left all alone wide open, but they run it the second time and the DB stands in. Tom Brady slips over and it's a pick. Brady threw another pick, which I I think he didn't see. I can't remember if it was a linebacker over the middle, was sort of just hidden behind the, the crashing of the line. Brady threw it to what he thought was an open man wasn't open those two mistakes and costly mistakes ultimately um that let the seattle seahawks back in the bucks run defense came to play for the first time this season um they really started to scramble geno smith's mind he he looked as sort of poor as i've seen him this season he looked a little bit cooked uh, in in the head as he was running around scrambling, had a bit of happy feet. I just sort of thought oh, there's signs there that if you can do the right things, if you can stop the run game and put Geno in a bit of a blender, this Seahawks team can be had. And but for those mistakes, um, the the Bucks would have had this one pretty comfortably. In, in actual fact, I'm glad it was close because I I watched this game in full and really enjoyed the comeback. But the Bucks had the foot on the throat uh, until they made a couple of silly mistakes that let Seattle back in. Tom Brady's now two and zero post divorce. Gotta keep an eye on that stat line. <laughs> you've got to, you know, it's a bit like you've got to spend money to make money. Sometimes you've got to take one ring off to try and put another ring on. You know, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Oh man! Uh, so we were two and two as a unit on that one. Uh, Bug, and of course, you took the Seahawks. I understood the selection, but yeah, it's Tom Brady. Uh, My game of the week was Vikings at Bills. Most of us were thinking the Bills were going to win this one because we didn't really believe in the Vikings. I got to say, probably have to reevaluate my opinions after this one. I just want to run down a brief summary of the how this game ended. Yeah. And I'll ask you a couple of questions here. So okay. 
The Bills had an incredible goal line stand. There was like a minute left in this game. Incredible goal line stand. And then on the next play, they fumble the snap and give the Vikings a defensive touchdown. So now they have to come back with like 30, 40 seconds left on the clock. They drive down the field, kick a field goal, send it to overtime. What? Two scores in less than a minute, both unbelievable. We're, we're in overtime 30 to 30. The Vikings put up an incredible drive, long drive, about six and a half minutes, get a field goal out of it, which means Josh Allen gets the ball and he throws a dumb interception. Just a bad placement of the ball. Mm. Gives the Vikings the win 33 to 30 in overtime. I was not at all expecting this performance out of the Vikings. So my two questions, number one, are the Vikings legit? Is this probably one of the, is this the leader in the NFC for you right now? And number two, is that Stefan Diggs trade possibly like the most even trade in NFL history? Because you essentially got Diggs for Justin Jefferson straight up. They both had insane games. I don't know if you have a bad option between them. Just uh, <laughs> Stephon Diggs let the Bills compete right now, and Justin Jefferson developed into basically another Stephon Diggs. <laughs> yeah. Insanity. I'll, I'll start with the quick. I think that is up there with amongst the most even trades of all time, and, and particularly like same position as well. You know, right. wide receiver ultimately right. for wide receiver. Um, uh, to if you were listing off the top five wide receivers in the game right now, you'd be pretty close to saying that those two would both be in the top five. You add in Tyreek Hill, um, you know, and a couple of other guys. Right. It, it, it's pretty, pretty massive value for both sides. <laughs> kind of be hard not to put them both in the top five, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I think this Vikings team is for real as a contender in the NFC. Um, this was a big prove it game right. for me. Um, and you know, my co-host on the JBSE is a Vikings fan. He got yeah. up at 5am to watch this game live. He said he was very loud, um, <laughs> at 5am. Um, and I guess what I would say is I've still got the Eagles ranked ahead of them because the Eagles have are yet to lose and the Eagles have a head-to-head victory over the Vikings. Um, right. They beat the Vikings pretty comfortably. I think it's 24 to seven or something. Absolutely. And I think this is a game, this is going to give the Vikings so much belief because you don't right. need a perfect Kirk Cousins game um, to, to win. You know, they go in, they make plays on, you know, every part of the ball sort of thing, every side of the ball. I feel like this is a crucial bit of reading and that's the, the, the second half drive chart for the bills, which went punt field goal, interception, punt, fumble, field goal, interception. Um, Whereas the Vikings in the second half went interception, punt, touchdown, touchdown, downs, end of half field goal. So Mm. the the bills didn't score a touchdown after halftime, which, which I think was pretty massive. Uh, this, This is a huge win. For Minnesota, they've got that the division sewn up, absolutely airtight, sewn up. So now you can start looking at can we make a run 
at the number one seed, get a bye, get the you know our first playoff game in Minnesota. I think it's massive, massive win for the Vikings. I do just want to state the obvious: this was the best game of the season so far, and if this is a Super Bowl rematch, <laughs> I'm totally down for that. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be awesome? And like for the as a Bills fan, you got to be sort of cut up about this because this is again another game that felt like that match in arrowhead last season in the playoffs where it's like how did we lose this game it's another epic the bills are sort of making a habit of playing in the best games of the season and being on the wrong end of them (laughs) which is something you don't really want to have you know it's something they're used to though in the 90s they certainly had a history of that as well so (laughs) and just just a point too on Josh Allen. Now six interceptions in his last three games. He's gone two interceptions, yeah. two interceptions, two interceptions. So he had become so good at protecting the football. Um, and just at the moment, turning it over, he had a fumble that he lost as well. And so those things are crucial in these games against fellow contenders. Yeah, these last two games definitely dropped him out of the MVP race, I would say. Uh, probably down yeah. to Patrick Mahomes. Tua Jones. Tua's probably out of it, though. The injuries will probably keep him away from that. But Patrick Holmes, Jalen Hurts, I, I, I don't know who else you have up there at this point. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's see pretty and, and like, It's a quarterback award. So, you know, right. as much as you can right. look at other players around, you know, and what they achieve. Um, have, have we got time for a quick Patrick Mahomes stat? Sure. Always not for Patrick uh, I was just, It's just interesting <laughs> because there's been a lot of talk about like, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he's, he's dropped off a little bit this year without Tyreek Hill. And, and I've actually not heard his name mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned it in the MVP conversation because a lot of circles I've heard, it's sort of like, I don't know, he's, he's the man left out in, in a lot of ways. But mm. so his first nine games of 2018, Completed 66.2% of his passes, 2,901 yards, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions. The first nine games of this season without Tyreek Hill, he's completed 66.9% of his passes, 2,936 yards, 25 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. So he is very, very close right now to playing at the same sort of statistical level that he did in 2018 when he won the MVP. Um, I just think he's cursed himself by setting ridiculously high standards. So unless yeah. he throws five picks and one of them's a no look, we don't sort of jump up and clap. He, he's phenomenal. A phenomenal. Yeah. That's kind of, it's actually been an issue with uh, like the Heisman race as well. Right. There's no shot. Bryce Young wins it this year there wasn't at the mm. beginning of the season, even going into the year, right? Because if he puts up identical numbers, people are going to say, well, you already did that. It's not as impressive, yeah. right? It's mm. okay. Well, they were good <laughs> enough for to be best in the country last year. So it ought to be yeah. worth considering like Lamar Jackson won it, came back to college, actually technically had better statistics in a couple of categories. Wasn't even on the ballot, right? It's, <laughs> mm. it's kind of the curse of to being twice. too good early gotta yeah yeah I, I would say patrick holmes is probably my favorite for the mvp though right now and yeah okay. josh allen definitely dropped out uh bug did pick the vikings good for him i i don't know why but well, i also funny. don't know why i picked the colts 
and that worked out for me too. So <laughs> I was the only one to pick the Colts against the Raiders Man. because why would you? Why would anyone? I was rooting for some chaos, and it definitely happened. Uh, on Saturday, after we talked about this game, a couple of days after, Matt Ryan was named the starter again, thanks to the new head coach, Jeff Saturday, just saying, uh, yeah, Sam Ellinger, you're kind of trash. Going to play the guy <laughs> who has ex- at least some experience, and it seemed to work out pretty well. Jonathan Taylor also went off, probably his best game of the season, Uh probably double his previous best game of the season. <laughs> like yeah. there was a huge workload put on him and he delivered. This was the first Raiders I saw where it felt like Derek Carr was forcing the ball to Devonte Adams at every opportunity. It really seemed like with Waller being out now with no real relationship with his other wideouts, there is no option for Derek Carr other than number 17, and that's going to hurt the Raiders a lot going forward the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Derek Carr frustrated, emotional in his press conference after the game. Um, Devontae Adams, 14 targets. The next closest on the team was Josh Jacobs with eight. So the next closest wide receiver was Mac Hollins with six. So Adams, eight more targets. The next closest wide receiver. Uh, a good 80 yards more receiving than the next closest receiver. And obviously you want him to be your number one weapon, but right. this team just feels dysfunctional. They they yeah. feel dysfunctional. I'm interested to see what the long-term bounce effect of the Jeff Saturday hire is. Like Jim Ursay has come out on Twitter and he's already taken a big victory lap on everyone who sort of criticized. <laughs> Let's just see what happens across the next little while because – right. The dead cat bounce is sometimes real with these coaching changes. Like, no, it would also not surprise me if this team now went, you know, zero and eight or one and seven, the, the the rest of the the way. It would not shock me in the slightest. Um, Jonathan Taylor getting back to form—that's a welcome return. Um, I picked him to score a touchdown. Uh, he hadn't scored one since September the twelfth believe it or not, Jonathan Taylor. So it, it had wow. been a while between drinks for JT and, and he certainly made the most of it. 147 rushing yards on 22 carries and a touchdown. Matt Ryan was neat um, and efficient, which is ultimately, I guess, what you want from 57-year-old Matt Ryan. Um, <laughs> you know, also though, four carries, speaking of 57-year-old Matt Ryan, four carries for 38 yards and a touchdown and the one where he took it around the edge and took off down the sideline. Lamar Jackson. It was impressive, I've got to say. Um, do you think there's any chance that the Raiders coach, uh, Josh McDaniels, gets sacked at the end of this year? Mark Davis um, has come out and said, oh, no, he's doing a fantastic job. But I feel like this means nothing. Words mean nothing in the NFL. Um if, if they really crater, I mean, they're not making playoffs from here. Do you think there's any chance he's a one and done in Vegas? There's always a chance. I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> I would say at this yeah. point, the way everything's been structured, it would take something egregious. You say something that Mark Davis and him fundamentally disagree on in the off season. That would yeah. definitely cause that. I don't see any way that if Mark Davis is coming out and saying this, 
that's not necessarily coming from him. That's coming from the media questioning, which is going to happen when you're losing, right? I don't think Mark Davis was even considering the question. The way he answered it, I don't think he was ever it was ever a consideration until that question was asked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I I doubt it, but anything's possible. If we've seen stronger statements uh, be turned on their head before as well, so. <laughs> Yeah, such as no. Todd Gurley's healthy. I swear, he's really healthy. Right. He's running the. Right. He's gonna. He's he's fine. His knee's good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. His knees are great yeah. for an eighty-five yeah. year old. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder about Derek Carr. You know, he said, "Oh, I'm not going to leave. Uh, you know, I'll retire before I play anywhere else." And, and I just wonder. I just wonder if it's one of those things ultimately where it's like, "Well, we got you an improved wide receiver." Um, right. like he hasn't played badly at all. I don't think he's played badly. I just wonder, um, if he's unlucky with just how the optics of it, I guess. Um, anyway, I actually did I see shall... a report that this is from an ESPN reporter. I'm not sure the validity of the report. I don't have any other way of knowing. It said that there's mm-hmm. growing sentiment in the building that Derek Carr is on his way out if they don't improve and they will turn their attention towards cj stroud specifically in the draft Mm. which interesting interesting for a couple of reasons number one how would he know this and number two why would they already have a quarterback in mind they haven't gone through any Mm. of the combine processes or draft interview processes it seems suspicious to me but that report's out there. Really interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So very interesting. after after this week of picks, uh, Tug and Bug went two and two this week. I went three and one, giving me the weekly stonks award, going all the way up. Well played. And did you find your record on the season yet for the NFL? Because yes, yeah, so, uh, on, on this. Yeah, so we've we've been doing a, an every game sort of pick. So at the moment, I've I've got ninety two correct across the season, um, which leads our comp by four. But I went six six of thirteen this week, so a down week Ooh. for me. Um, but it had been going all right before this week. I think I had I think I got twelve of fourteen last week or something. So it's it's been all right. It's been all right. So you we'll get last week's Stonks Award, but definitely mine this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but let's go ahead and talk about some of the players that we had pegged to watch out for this week. Uh, Chase Claypool was Bugs' start receiver in fantasy. That is definitely the wrong decision if you did that. I, I, um, I'm sorry if you listen to this advice. <laughs> uh, only one catch on two targets and only eight yards out of it. Yeah, that's not it's not going to do anything for you. Uh, his sit was Curtis Samuel, who is in action right now. So I don't have any real news for you there, how that's going. But we will mm. we'll come back and check it out later. Um, on the running back side of things, Tug gave us another Washington commander to sit this week. Brian Robinson Jr., but really he kind of wanted all running backs for the Washington Commanders just because I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody expected 
any individual player to have a good offensive performance against this Eagles defense, which I understand, but also it's 14-10, so somebody's moving the ball somewhere. The start for Tug was Nick Chubb, who obviously had a good week because he always has good weeks. This one wasn't as good as some. He did have a fumble in there, but still 12.1 standard and 15.1 PPR. You're not going to be too mad about that if you had him in your lineup. Absolutely. I'm really happy because I managed to stash Kadarius Tony on my roster as soon Ooh. as he got traded to the Chiefs. And he's starting to heat up. So I'm, I had a horrible start. I think I started 0-6 for the season. I'm now, I think, 3-6, and six, hoping that I can climb in the back door of the playoffs. That's that's the intention. That is gross. I hate everything about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Me too. Well, that's I'm, enough. It's a fall from grace. <laughs> that's enough NFL talk. I can't stand any more of it. I'm the All college right. football guy. <laughs> which means it's time for some college football. And we have some fun things to start off with. Uh, welcome to the Mountain West. New commissioner, Gloria Navarez. She is the second ever woman to lead a major conference in college sports, joining current Conference USA commissioner, Judy McLeod. Uh, Gloria was most recently the commissioner of the West Coast Conference. If you don't know that, that's because it doesn't have football. West Coast Conference is known for having Gonzaga. That's about it. Uh, but at the same time, she does have plenty of experience with football conferences for, I believe, eight years, was the senior associate commissioner for the Pac-12. Should be some good experience in there for the Mountain West. Actually, she's also on the Division One Transformation Committee, so a little bit of a powerful voice for the Mountain West as well. Hopefully, good looking out for that conference in realignment talks and rule changes, all sorts of things that could affect the group of five. Uh, this is, looks like an excellent hire, and really do wish Gloria Navarez all the best here. Yeah, absolutely. Massive. And, you know, it's probably a bit of a trope thing to say, but I like, I like when you see like more women being hired into positions of power in sport any like any position in sport really whether it's coaching whether it's management um you know whether it's sort of behind the scenes or at the, at the corporate sort of level of it because I, I just think it brings new perspective like it, it i just i don't get the opposition to it like it still happens with coaching when you say you know you know female coach hired into the NFL or something and people are like, oh, what can she possibly offer? It's like, well, a whole different perspective to anything that, you know, right. that, that the dudes on the staff can offer. It's just a different, you know, it can be a different way of looking th at things, different life experiences. Um, and as you said, you know, Gloria Navarez comes with all sorts of powerful resume background. So, yeah, I don't know a lot about it, but it sounds like a great hire to me. And with Tug being an Air Force fan, we do trek the Mountain West pretty closely. So, Gloria, Gloria Navarez, uh, we will be tracking your career with great interest. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, next up, a couple more really fun things. I think we need to start with UConn being bowl eligible. Now, here's the issue for the Huskies. 
I, I guess I should set the, the tone first because this is incredible. The fact that Jim Mora has gotten the Huskies to being bowl eligible. It's his first season with the team. Completely turn it around. They won two games last year. One of them was against UMass. So it's not like they're mm. <laughs> historically great program. Uh, they've only made yeah. one bowl game in the last 12 years. And they got kind of booted out of the American Athletic Conference in a way. They joined the Big East, who does not sponsor football anymore. So they're independent in the FBS and haven't made a bowl game as an independent. So the issue for UConn right now is that even though they've won six games, they are independent, which means they don't have any bowl tie-ins. They have to wait to get invited as some at-large bid. So there are a couple of options here. ESPN and CBS are projecting that UConn will be invited to the Lending Tree Bowl. Sports Illustrated is projecting they'll be invited to the Arms Bowl. Whichever happens, this is incredible, and I'm very excited for the future of UConn football. And I don't think anyone's ever said that. <laughs> Maybe since 2006, 2007. Yeah, absolutely. And like they started one and five this season. They've gone five and uh, one and four this season, rather, and gone five and one um, their last six games. I actually Including watched this their week first game of the top 25 Liberty. Incredible. Cra- craziness. And that, that Liberty team, who did they beat last week? I'm trying to think. Who did Liberty get Arkansas. over? Um, yeah. Arkansas. So, yeah. Um, tr- Transitive properties, Yukon would be favored over Arkansas as things stand right now in a neutral neutral field. Yukon um, finishing fourth in the SEC West. <laughs> that's that's the YouTube um, clip for you know for, for this episode. Could Yukon finish fourth in the SEC West? Um, and just pictures of our faces looking like shock. Um uh, they should have won their opening game too at Utah uh, at Utah State. I watched that game and like sort of deceiving Utah state got on top for one quarter, um, 24 points to none in the second quarter, but it was a 31 20 game. UConn got up 14 to nothing in the first. I think they lost their starting quarterback. And then there were a number of officiating decisions that went against them. It was a really frustrating game and you could see even there, the potential of this team, um, and we should also forget this is you know 2020 New York Times national champions UConn. So right, right. I mean that's something. Right. Hang a banner, hang a banner. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've I actually forgotten about that. That is uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I had, wasn't even. It wasn't I'll even never really forget. By choice though, they were independent, so everybody canceled their games on them. There wasn't UConn deciding <laughs> to cancel their games. Nobody was playing out of conference games the COVID year. Oh man! History will remember the 2020 <laughs> the national Times, champion UConn. That's the New York Times does not follow football as closely as we do. Just <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> uh, another fun thing here. Uh, I am an Ohio State fan, but I think everybody can get a little bit of something out of this one. Did you hear the story of Cameron Babb this weekend? I did not. Fill me in. So Cameron Babb is a senior on Ohio State. He uh, was a top 100 recruit at receiver. And to be top 100 out of high school is really 
that, that's something. You know, he was expected to do great things for the program. He tore his ACL before the start of the first season that he was going to play out for the year. I mean, going into the second year, rehab had gone very well. Freak non contact accident injury tore another ACL going into his second season. Couldn't play that year. COVID year happens. He gets a little bit of time on special teams. He appears in seven games, but can't do much. He's still kind of recovering from two torn ACLs. Going into last year, guess what happens? No way. No way. He tears his ACL again. Uh, In total, throughout his college career, he has had four torn ACLs, actually. And uh, finally got healthy enough to get into a game and scored his first touchdown in college football this this game, this weekend against Indiana. Uh, Even through all those injuries, he had been voted as a captain on the team twice now. This is his second year as a captain. He's also the spiritual leader on the team, leading the uh, leading the entire team in prayer on the on the field before games. He is very much so, kind of the uh, embodiment of what Ohio State's looking for in, in just an all around great player and a great young man. Uh, one of only three students at Ohio State to give a speech when Ohio State introduced their new president. Uh, to the university, he he's that respected all around campus. Uh, also, ever since the NCAA made the number zero possible to wear, uh, Ohio State's kind of taken that as that go number. We need to treat it special. We'll give it to one special story a year. Okay, you see Cameron Babb there wearing a Block O jersey this season. Uh, not only voted by the coaches, also voted by his teammates. He has the love of everybody in that locker room. And it's just an insane comeback story for him this year. I can't believe he finally got a touchdown. It's just, oh, man. The game almost stopped completely. He was just running up and down the sidelines, hugging everybody, (laughs) literally everybody. (laughs) And found his mom in the stands. It was, wow, it it was pretty awesome. It's amazing those sort of moments. Um, you can sort of start to take it for granted, I, I suppose, when you, when you see different athletes, you know, achieve things, and um, and then you see someone, you know, achieve something as relatively routine as catching a touchdown. Um, you know, that happens all the time, week to week. Ohio State catch a lot of touchdowns week to week, um, right. but you see the context of it for someone like that who's had to to fight and fight and fight and uh, to get on the field and i remember listening to there's a really good four or five part series podcast series about andrew luck um and his mm-hmm. time at the colts and and you know that delves a lot into the dark days of rehab you know uh, of trying to rehabilitate from injury and and the loneliness of it and and the dark places that you go so you can only imagine what that feels like, finally getting out there, finally doing what you feel like you're meant to do, catch touchdowns, and it's massive. It's massive. So I feel really good for the for the young bloke. It's, it's awesome. 
I'm really hoping he can stay forward. If he does, he does have two years of eligibility left because of a redshirt season. And then the COVID year added a year of eligibility for everybody. Mm. So, you know, even, mm. even though he's a senior, we might, we may see him again. I'm, I'm really hoping so. His story has been just incredible. Love the yeah. guy. <laughs> uh, next up in our last really fun story before we get into some business here. Uh, we have a new NCAA record holder for career tackles. This is kind of insane. Carlton Marshall, linebacker for Troy, now has actually 548 career tackles. Uh, Whoa. Broke the previous record set in the 1970s by a linebacker out of Northwestern. Uh, even better part of the story, though, Carlton Marshall was a walk-on to Troy who didn't have any D1 offers. Five foot nine, two ten, undersized for the linebacker position, just balls out every single game. Came into this past weekend with 20 tackles to go to break the record, and he had 22. Unreal. Unreal. That's amazing. <laughs> so I was just is... trying to look like um so it's like almost almost an average of 10 tackles a game if you average it out across oh, yeah. his career. Yeah. That's that that's impressive. Very impressive. Huh. All right. Yeah, so he is on the watch list, uh, actually now a semifinalist for the Burlesworth Award, which is, is awarded to the best uh former walk-on each season. It went to Baker Mayfield twice. Uh, I, I would, I'm going to boycott the award if they don't give it to Carlton Marshall this season. Uh, not a voter, but come on, this is an amazing story. Undersized well, linebacker, you know, no offers, new NCAA record holder. <laughs> at, at least you can rest safe in the knowledge that Baker Mayfield won't get it for a third time. That is good. <laughs> that That's very good to hear. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> that's actually that's gross. I don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> you imagine a walk on just kind of presents like, the yeah. <laughs> He gets cut from the Panthers, has to walk on to another NFL team. <laughs> that's that's the logic. Yep. <laughs> so we have sure. a few weeks to go before Selection Sunday, but we're still getting. AP polls, and they're still worth looking at. Um, yeah, I, compared to the BDT trench ratings, the top four are pretty good. The top five, actually, are pretty dang good yeah. at this point. Uh, Georgia, the obvious number one for everybody. No argument from me. Uh, Ohio State did jump the team up north in the BDT trench ratings this week, mostly because Notre Dame keeps winning, actually, making Ohio State's resume better. And even though UConn's bowl eligible, uh, you know, team up north did win that game 59 to nothing. So, you know, a little bit of a different <laughs> different resume there. Uh, TCU, yeah. they are 10 and 0. They did beat Texas. Uh, there, there does feel like a tier gap between the top three and TCU, though, even among the AP voters. Yeah, 
Yeah, look, as a hypnotoad acolyte, as a TCU fan, I acknowledge we we are not really probably close to those top three teams. And I'll I'll admit, probably not even actually on a neutral field against anyone else, the fourth best team in the country. I'll I'll admit it. That's fine. But it's been a fun journey, and if we get to thirteen and zero, they'll have to put us in, right? So give, the, the, give them no you know, choice. That, I, I hope <laughs> that's right. And if we go and get smoked by Georgia or whoever, so so be it. But a lot of teams have been to the playoffs just to get smoked by Georgia or Alabama, um, etc. So right. it's it's just nice to be there. It's nice to be in the conversation. LSU all the way up at number six, though, really makes no sense to me. Uh, I understand the playoff committee kind of put them up in the top 10 to prop up Alabama and then LSU won. So now you're kind of in this weird situation where a two loss LSU might have a realistic shot at the playoffs. Now kind of gross, kind of hate that. According to the BDT trench ratings here, Penn state is a top 10 team. I want to get your take because it's a very interesting case their only losses are to number two and number three. Mm. They've blown out almost everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And I I suppose like that's the tricky thing when you talk about tiers and that sort of thing, like their only losses are to top four teams, but then again, how close did they get to those top four teams? Were they ever realistically in those games? Like, and, and this is, this is the interesting question as you start to think about like 12 team playoffs and all that sort of thing. I, I right. don't personally think 12, there, I don't think there are any given year 12 teams that can win the playoff if given the chance. I just don't think that's right. There's probably three, there's probably three, you know, four in a really good year, four in a really good year that at the time of the playoff could win it, you know, because some teams get hot at the end of a year and maybe they don't have the, the the record to sneak in, you know, and they would get in in a 12 team playoff, but you know, there's a clear delineation for me with Georgia, Ohio state look, even just there, but I haven't watched a lot of Michigan. So, you know, we can, we can draw that line under those three. I I thought Tennessee, the Tennessee Georgia game was, was revealing, you know, like Georgia's defense, sort of curb stomped them. They put up 13 points. It was a two-touchdown game, and it felt like it was much wider than that, actually. Yeah, definitely. So I I really – I think it's fine to have Penn State as a a top 10 team because I think the drop-off after those top three is is pretty significant. You know, you can sort of throw a blanket over the others. I think USC – I wouldn't be surprised if you that USC UCLA is this weekend, isn't it? I, yes, I think. it is. I I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA beat USC, and that will pretty much end the the Pac-12's hopes of of getting a team in the playoff. Um, what happens if LSU wins the SEC championship? If they somehow win out, beat Georgia, is it Georgia and? Like LSU, who are the SEC champs? Who who misses out then? Like if TCU's thirteen, it would have to be the way it's currently structured. I don't think LSU should be in in that scenario, but I think they would be. 
and mm. you'd probably end up with the let's make it as possible, right? The winner of the game goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten because I don't want to say the other one's name. Let's call it Ohio State. <laughs> they would become the one seed in that scenario for sure. You would probably have, if TCU wins out, you'd probably go ahead and say TCU's your two seed, actually. Make LSU the three and Georgia the four, or Georgia three, LSU four, even though LSU just beat Georgia. It makes it really difficult. Hey, hey, if you and also TCU versus the Tigers, I, I like our chances. Let's go, Horn Frogs. And also from the perspective of considering this is a TV spectacle and that's all it's designed to be, do you really want your semifinal to be Ohio State, Georgia, when that feels much more like a championship game than TCU, LSU in that scenario? I don't think yeah. they would line it up that way. And I think that would be part of the consideration at that point. I would also have to wonder is there a scenario where LSU wins the SEC and instead of LSU getting in, it's still Georgia and also Tennessee stays above them? That is mm. possible, and that would become the first SEC champion to miss the playoffs. I kind of don't think that's going to happen, the way the rankings have been set up here. It's possible, though. And especially if LSU loses another game in the regular season, which they have the luxury of doing so, they've clinched the SEC West. So it's <laughs> there are so many scenarios on the table. I, it's We could sit here for days. <laughs> but for the fun of it, this year would actually be a fun year for, a 12, for the 12-team playoff because right? there feels Absolutely. like a lot of sort of frisky teams um, and, and ultimately, I don't think making a 12-team playoff is about giving the opportunity for 12 teams to realistically try and win. It's the idea right. of extending the relevance of 12 teams, you know, right. another week or two. Um, because right now, so, it feels very exclu exclusionary or something. Exclusionary. Right. No, I, I saw a great <laughs> analysis and explanation of the exact thing you're talking about, where before the playoff era, in the BCS era, the goal for every team, make a BCS Bowl. If you make it to the national championship instead, that's incredible. You're one of the top two teams in the country. That's awesome. But Ohio State's goal, for example, every season, we need to make the Rose Bowl. Well, now that's not the mm -hmm. case. It's playoff or bust, and there are only four teams who make those. There are still four other major bowls that are on the table every season that nobody cares about anymore. That's not a goal of any team. They want to be in that top four. So because the playoff has expanded already to four teams, even it has to expand again or else it's just four team playoff or bust, which is not at all realistic. There are 131 teams in the FBS level right now, about to be 134 once Sam Houston, uh, Kennesaw State move up. You know, there's Jacksonville State's moving up as well. That's 
that's not realistic to say you have to be in the top four or else you failed. Now, there are obvious yeah. exceptions to that. Texas A&M definitely failed this year. <laughs> Love yeah. jumping on them from the top ropes whenever available. But you can't say that USC has had a bad season if they go to the Rose Bowl. That's a wonderful year for them, an incredible turnaround. And yet there are going to be plenty of people who say it was a failure because Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams couldn't combine for a playoff appearance. That's not fair. Yeah, and and as TCU fans, um, I think we should be really thinking, if we can win the Big 12 championship, the season to date has been an exceptional success. But if you can win the Big 12, whatever happens with the playoff uh, happens. But it's a shame that conference titles sort of have lost their relevancy, you know, as something to strive for. It's like, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're conference relevant, but we're not playoff relevant, so we're not really relevant at all. It's like, well... Any given year, there's two or three play teams that are truly national championship relevant because that's where all the talent is. Now, maybe that changes right. over the way a little bit with the transfer portal. I think you've seen that a little bit this year where you know you don't have a bunch of good quarterbacks sitting around on other rosters just festering on the bench like other teams have been able to go and get a half-decent quarterback to come and play for them, which is, which is really good. Um, so... Yeah, I was a bit doom and gloom about college football, say, six, seven months ago. But this season, I think, has been really fun and shown where the sport can go if we can make it more truly, um, you know, if we can increase the relevancy of teams for longer, um, whether that's through, like you said, relevant bowl games or expanded playoff or whatever it is. But I think there's so much potential. I have so many thoughts on the transfer portal and all that mess, but we are yeah we're too deep into a conversation about <laughs> off season you know, number fifteen in the <laughs> FBS. <laughs> yeah. We got other things to discuss, including uh, some some really awesome uh, FCS action uh, uh, next mm-hmm. weekend is going to be. You know, actually, I think I want to hit something else first let's go ahead and talk about the actual selection sundays we've already had i think that's going to be the better transition here um okay. <laughs> it's kind of kind of insane we're talking about all the potential scenarios of an fbs playoff with only four teams and yet at other levels of the ncaa themselves we've already figured out a pretty great playoff structure <laughs> uh for example exactly Let's go ahead and look at the Division II playoffs, which the Selection Sunday was yesterday as we're recording this live. Uh, this is this is a lot of teams making the playoffs. Seem, seems to me there's more than four teams with the potential to reach the national championship game. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of interesting. Oh. I will say there are four undefeated teams in this bracket. Not all of them got the one seed, though. Indiana, Pennsylvania also got a one seed, as confusing as that name is. Uh, <laughs> but Benedict, Angelo State, Grand Valley State, and Wachita Baptist are all undefeated and in this playoffs. Now, I think listeners of the show will recognize Grand Valley State and Ferris State. We did 
pick that game it, when it happened in the regular season because it was number one versus number two at the time. Uh, Ferris State lost that game and fell all the way to a number two seed. We could get another number one versus number two in that rivalry, which is pretty awesome. Um, I do technically, I think, have a rooting interest in the Division II playoffs this year because up there, number four seed in that first division, uh, there's Ashland, which was about 35 minutes away from where I grew up in Ohio. So I'll pull a tug and root for the hometown squad. Let's go Eagles. <laughs> uh, but this this is a this is a real playoff right here. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a truly meaty bracket. This like it's there's teams all over the place. How do, I'm trying to wrap my head around how this even works. So there's essentially what four four sort of playoffs that play down to a final four or something like how well it's supposed work? to be four sides of a bracket but the ncaa yeah right put okay. it together poorly and so this is no, the no, ncaa's graphics but it should be that okay towards the center. yeah uh, it looks better on the division three side of things which i guess we can go ahead and jump to because oh. division three has even more teams make the playoffs every year wow uh, they still have four divisions, uh, four quadrants of the bracket. There are actually 11 unbeaten teams in the Division Three playoffs this season. <laughs> <laughs> kind of incredible. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. And if you don't know about Division Three football, let me just say there are two big names to know. Number one and a number one seed this year would be Mount Union, Ohio. They they won, I, th- I think Mountain Union won every national championship there was for like a good six-year run there. And then they started going back and forth between Mount Union and Wisconsin Whitewater, which is the other big name to know. Lance Leopold had a lot of success there before heading to Kansas, of course. Um, yeah. yeah, they Mountain Union and... Wisconsin Whitewater combined for 19 of the past 30 national championships. And every season from 2005 to 2017 went to one of those two schools. Kind of amazing. (laughs) Dominance like we've not seen in any other division of football. Even Tom Brady can match these numbers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's intense. Wow. Yeah, and so what is this? Is this like a thirty-two team bracket or something? I'm trying to trying to quickly count up. One, two, three, How many four, five, teams? Six, seven, yeah, it's thirty-two. Thirty-two teams Holy make the division smokes. three playoffs, and we will have plenty <laughs> of games between now and the championship, December sixteen. It's a Friday night championship for the Division Three National Championship. Uh, I really don't have a rooting interest in this one. I guess if any school, I would be rooting for Carnegie Mellon. Because that's kind of fun. They're in Pittsburgh. I guess that's your team too now. Absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> as, a, as a Steelers fan, <laughs> you have to be a Carnegie Mellon fan. That's, that's what we're learning. Carnegie, <laughs> yeah, Carnegie Mellon. What a Mellon. Uh, nice. I like have, it. <laughs> have there been any other? Are there any other Wisconsin teams that made the playoffs? Yeah, Wisconsin Lacrosse made the playoffs as well. Um, Wisconsin 
has several subsidiary campuses. They all have their own football programs. They're all Division Three, and they all play in the same conference. So usually you end up with Wisconsin Whitewater rising to the top, but there are like nine other Wisconsins who usually all play pretty well, well. too. They all have great offensive lines. Those farm boys know yeah. how to push people around. But <laughs> Division Three is just <laughs> wild. <laughs> and we'll go, so jump to the next one. This isn't NCAA. This is NAIA, which you may have heard of if you're familiar with college basketball. Uh, NCAA tournament and the NAIA tournament are very separate. Uh, NAIA is also like the main governing body for college hockey. So they do plenty of good stuff down there in that level of college football as well. I will say the state of Iowa dominates NAIA football. They are the top three seeds all from the state of Iowa, Morningside, Grandview, and Northwestern. Now this graphic is a lot cleaner and a lot easier to read uh, simply because NAIA reseeds after the first round and we're only seeing the first round of matchups. I love that. I wish other playoff style tournaments would do that. Uh, NCAA can't figure that out, apparently. (laughs) I will say, I do have a rooting interest in this one as well. I know a couple of alumni from Lindsey Wilson in Kentucky. Glad to see them make it as an eight seed here. Pretty exciting. Um. Very nice. Other than that, I don't know anything about any of these teams. Gonna be real. <laughs> hey, the, the the Iowa's, as you said, Iowa is is dominating. What Morningside, Grandview, and Northwestern has that not only all in the playoffs, but the one, two, and three seeds. That's pretty, that's nuts. Pretty amazing. Look at Kansas over there too, with the six and the ten. <laughs> yeah, and play yeah it's playing off against each other. There's two teams from the South, really. I mean, maybe three. I don't consider Lindsey Wilson to be a Southern school necessarily, not the culture there. But Bethel, Tennessee, uh, Kaiser from Florida, Reinhardt from Georgia. Everybody else is from the Midwest, straight up. (laughs) Arizona as well. But, you know, who who cares? They're the 16th seed. (laughs) Oh, man. NAIA playoffs. Uh, that championship will be December 17, same day as the Division II championship. So figure out where your loyalties lie, NCAA or other, and <laughs> watch one of those. Should be fun. There is one week left of regular season FCS action before we get to the FCS playoff selection Sunday. Some great games this weekend, too. I will say that number one seed in the FCS playoffs is coming down to really three options. I would say three options, probably more realistically two. But number one right now in both the coaches and the FCS, the Stats Perform FCS poll, is South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits did beat reigning champions North Dakota State in the regular season for that Dakota marker. They are the Missouri Valley Conference champions. Missouri Valley Football Conference has many a great playoff team in recent FCS history. Uh, that alone will get 
the Jackrabbits a lot of respect here. They are undefeated in FCS play, only loss on the season coming to Iowa. Uh, FBS losses don't count on Selection Sunday, so they won't be penalized for that. They, yeah, they're they're number one probably simply because they beat North Dakota State. At the same time, South Dakota State and North Dakota State have to be the top two talented squads in all of the FCS. I don't know that there's really too much of a debate there between those two. You have all of the stars, uh, recruiting stars, that is, that come to the FCS level. So (laughs) I would say the Jackrabbits have a really good shot there. The other option would be Sacramento State, who I didn't expect to be this good, but they have come on in a big way. They are undefeated, including their FBS game against Colorado State. They are most likely going to be the Big Sky champion, depending on what happens this weekend. They also have three wins over teams currently ranked. That's really impressive. That's something that South Dakota State can't say. So they South Dakota State has a win over number four, North Dakota State, reigning champions. Sacramento State has wins over Weber State, over Montana, over just everybody in their path in a really good big sky this year. The one knock against them, they haven't played that other potential one seed, Montana State, also in the big sky. Okay, you can't design the schedule yourself. Can't really knock them for that. (laughs) It's going to be a big conversation between these two teams. And I really don't know which one would win on a neutral field at this point. They're both playing extremely well. I, I, my personal vote would probably be for Sacramento State, but I definitely understand the argument for the Jackrabbits here. Yeah, and I suppose you got to you got to rate no matter what league you're talking about. But the fact you know you got three wins over teams currently ranked. Uh, right. as well as being un- undefeated you defeated your fbs opponent you know as as colorado uh, defeating colorado state i was just going to note too that the um south dakota state lost to iowa but only lost seven to three you know like i'm imagining i don't watch a lot of fcs football but i'm imagining um that iowa uh would have had the bodies to to try and push south dakota state around to an extent um i don't know so that's or 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 if south dakota state got the beef if anybody does it would be the dakotas i will say as bad as iowa's offense has been this season they would put up points on most fcs schools so still being held to a touchdown is it's still impressive yeah sure the other potential uh, like I said, option, I, I, I guess, for a number one seed. I don't think mm-hmm. it'll happen, but it's on the table. Montana State is currently number three in the polls and undefeated in FCS play. They did lose to Oregon State. Again, FBS losses don't count on Selection Sunday. Uh, that was mm-hmm. kind of an ugly one, though. If you watched it, 62-28. Oregon State is uh, much improved from what they were a couple of years ago. <laughs> Yeah. Give it to the Beavers. Just a bit. <laughs> Montana State, if they win this weekend, could either win or share the Big Sky Conference title since they don't play Sacramento State this season. 
they also have one win over teams ranked currently, but have a chance for another one this weekend, and game day is going to be there. Uh, the media coverage is on Montana State's side because there's a huge rivalry going on. The Brawl of the Wild is this weekend, more affectionately known by Montana fans, uh, and, well, fans in the state of Montana, I should say, as the Grizzcat game, uh, as the Montana Grizzlies face off against the Montana State Wildcats. This is one of the longest running rivalries in all of college football. I believe it's the fourth longest running rivalry west of the Mississippi. And yeah, it's been in favor of Montana overall, but Montana state has certainly had their share of success in there as well. Five combined national titles between these two schools, 39 combined conference titles and a combined 66 consensus FCS All-American players across their school history. This is a massive game. College game day is going to Bozeman, Montana this weekend. Very fun. The game is sold out already for a game coming this Saturday to be sold out a week early. Is, uh, it's pretty good in the FCS level, got to say. <laughs> the, the, the brawl wow. of the wild, that's how you name a rivalry game. None of this, like, oh, the old tin can or whatever your rivalry, the brawl of the wild. I mean, that that is what we're talking about when we talk about rivalry games. <laughs> so they the do wild. compete for a trophy now, the Great Divide Trophy. Uh, it's pretty massive. Looks like a mountain. Got a couple of weird sculptures on the side of the mountain with a big football on top of it. Uh, this is actually a really cool concept, though. I like the idea behind it. This trophy didn't exist until 2001 and will stay permanently with the team who has the most wins in the series in the 21st century. They're only going to have this trophy for one century. That's it. It's kind of a cool (laughs) concept. They have a lot more faith in the future of Western society than I do. But, you know, (laughs) this game's still going on that long. (laughs) Good on whoever has the series lead. (laughs) I will say as well, uh, you're probably going to see some great defense here more than anything. Uh, These two schools have combined for one Walter Payton Award winner, which is essentially the FCS Heisman, uh, and five Buck Buchanan Award winners for the Defensive Player of the Year across their history. So great defense being played out in the state of Montana. And definitely a big game for both schools as they try to find their way into the FCS playoffs. The Grizzlies probably need to win here in order to get in at this point. Uh, They have three losses, all to great teams, but you still have three losses. If you make it four, it's going to be hard to put you in there. So we'll see what happens in this one. Uh, Very excited to see college game day recognizing a great FCS rivalry like this and looking forward to a good game. Yeah, absolutely. We will make a pick for this one, though, later in the week. It will be a ranked versus a ranked matchup at the FCS level. Uh, but uh, we had very different ranked versus ranked matchups this past weekend to pick from. This was our record going into the week. Uh, I do have a sizable lead here, but we'll see how that held up. 
a little little spoiler for you potentially. Um, I know you're picking every single FBS game this season. How's yeah. that going so far? How how were you uh, heading into this weekend? Let's say. So this week I was I was chasing uh, my 500th correct pick for the season. Ooh. I need I needed to do pretty well this week to get there. Um, but we managed to achieve it. We managed to achieve it. So I'm now 503 and 178 on the season. Um, I went 47, 47 and 15 this weekend. So th- there were some upsets, obviously, um, that I didn't get. But then also cashed some easy ones as well with some some mismatches. But yeah, 47 and 15 and 503 and 175 on the season. That's insane. Uh, I know where most of your losses came from, and that's from this show. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, we have four ranked matchups this past weekend at the FBS level. Uh, our consensus pick here was that Alabama was going to beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss should have won this game for real. That was not a good performance yeah. by the Crimson Tide. Actually, kind of a dirty performance, too. You see all those weird, nasty shots on Jackson Dart. That one face mask where they about snapped his neck. Kind of insane how this one went down. Uh, Alabama comes out on top, though, 30-24. to 24. How, nasty. how do you not get, like, flags on those plays? Because I, I was watching this game while I was doing some work, and um, I just saw, I saw the the replay of Jackson Dark getting pushed in the back of the head on the ground. And I was right. like, oh, well, that must be a, you know, a flag that extended the drive uh, for, for Ole Miss. And then next minute, nope. Alabama's <laughs> offense is on the field. And I was like, what in hell? How it, it was really horrific. And, you know, Alabama get the win, uh, good for them. But I don't think you, you would walk away feeling any better about them. They got run on big time old miss piled up 191 rushing yards and two touchdowns on them um i just don't think this is a particularly good alabama team within the context obviously of of alabama and and what they've been i just yeah as you said the penalties weren't called that should have been called they only had five penalties called for 45 yards should have been at least seven or eight penalties um you know, if you think about the For a couple of postcards, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the the assault going on on <laughs> poor old Jackson Dart, who just sort of, you know, seemed to be battered from pillar to post. Probably the most amazing thing about this game, though, is that it actually sealed the division for LSU. They needed Ole Miss to lose this one, and uh, LSU is going to win the SEC West after this result. Uh, wow, wow. Yeah, uh, not, not a bad year for Brian Kelly. Next up, we did have number 22, UCF, at number 17, Tulane. The first ranked matchup in New Orleans since the 1960s. And yeah, UCF was able to hold on. Um, honestly, watching this game, UCF controlled basically every aspect of it. A real credit to the Green Wave to keep it as close as they did. But every statistical category, everything you can think of was in favor of UCF and two lost fumbles by Tulane. Certainly 
would have changed the tide as well. Uh, to be only one touchdown actually shows me how good of a team Tulane is, how talented of a squad that is. Yeah, and this was one where I remember when we were sort of analyzing this game in preview, one of my big points for taking Tulane was, you know, Tulane's run defense has been pretty decent. If they can stop UCF running the ball, well, uh, UCF had 54 carries for 336 yards and four touchdowns. So <laughs> they didn't stop. Sort of a bit like arrested development narration. They didn't. Um, yeah, they, they couldn't stop the run. And so that the game really ended there. I do, I mean, that's just such a lopsided stat, 336 rushing yards. You, you're right. pretty much going to be able to control the game um, if you run for, for three, 300 plus on the ground. Amazingly, that's kind of what Washington tried to do against Oregon, even though Washington has been awful at running the football this season. They were able to convert on some big plays just on the ground. Washington pulls off the upset 37-34, not purely through the arm of Penix, but through defense in the right spots, running game in the right spots, and actually they were pretty effective all around against the Ducks. I got to say, if Bo Nix had come back from that injury, game-winning drive at the end, he would have gotten my vote for the Heisman right then and there. Uh, didn't happen. <laughs> Washington pulls off the upset probably in itself eliminating the Pac-12 from the playoff. We'll see what USC does, though. But I, I got to say, this was a killer blow to their playoff chances. Yeah, you sort of think that, I mean, obviously a, a two-loss Pac-12 uh, champion, champion is not going to right. see themselves viewed as favorably as a two-loss SEC champion and especially when you get thumped as badly as you did by Georgia in week one. And, and then, yeah. you know, Washington throws for 400 yards on you. That throw from, from Penix, and they made a big deal about it on the broadcast because it was an absolute laser. It was like Zeus <laughs> pulling a lightning bolt down from the sky and just flinging it. Like the safety knew what was happening. And he tried to get across to cover, and he just could not. It was just an absolute missile. Um, yeah, and credit to Washington. Like, they took it right up to Oregon. Oregon ran the ball really well, 318 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Um, but I think the Bo Nix injury was pretty critical. Uh, that I, I was really mystified was by the fourth and one. Decision. The Bo Nix injury you know, was at a critical shotgun. time, too. I mean, that was yeah. probably bigger than the injury itself, just when it happened. Really broke up every bit of momentum Oregon could have hoped to have had. Mm. Yeah, and, and I, don't, I don't understand the... I understand the going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, I think there's about a minute left, but, you yeah. know, they're, they're in their own half, Oregon... You're pretty much instantly setting Washington up for, for the game-winning field goal. Um, and they just they lined up in shotgun. And I know it's college, and I know most of these quarterbacks don't take snaps under center. But you just wonder, like, if Bo Nix was in the game, would they have taken that under center? Bo Nix gets the QB sneak for, for the yard that they needed, and, and away you go. But I don't know. In that situation with my backup quarterback in, I might just punt that one. 
down and yeah, see if we can get to overtime. I yeah. would have. The defense was playing well enough at that point. I don't think Washington could have driven down for a field goal. Uh, I will say, though, we just saw in the Bills Vikings how dangerous an out under center QB sneak try can be. So, true. <laughs> just do what you're comfortable with. And that's with, with professionals. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But we all picked Oregon yeah. in that one. I think that undersells how good of a matchup I, I we thought this could have been. Both of us had said this has a potential game, and it absolutely was one of the best games of the mm. weekend in college football. Uh, last ranked matchup of the FBS level, we did have number four TCU at number 18 Texas. Uh, we both picked Texas on the show. The guys who aren't on the show got the win, though. Uh, <laughs> Hypno Toad held Bijan Robinson to a career low 29 rushing yards, and Quinn, you could not receivers. There were some throws that I saw Quinn Ewers make. It just looks, he looks like an 18 year old. At quarterback, which he is, so give him some time. But, man, that is not an offense firing on all cylinders just yet. Yeah, and, and like Curse of the Hypnotoad, I think TCU now 8-3 <laughs> and three in 11 games um, against Texas since they joined the Big 12. Um, the Hypnotoad has its spell cast on the Longhorns. Uh, I really loved this win for TCU because it's been all season like, oh, they're going to win the shootouts, but, you know, they're not going to be able to play much on defense. They're not going to be able to, you know, win gritty. Well, they won gritty and really, but for a botched um, sort of handoff uh, operation at, at sort of towards the end of the game that led to a fumble and a Texas score, like Texas did not score on offense, uh, did not score a touchdown on offense all game. Um, you know, it was just ultimately a defensive score that put them back in the frame. Uh, TCU ran the ball pretty well on Texas, 44 carries, 159 yards and a touchdown. Duggan didn't turn the ball over outside of that one fumble um, exchange. And I think that's a big difference. I think that's been really heartening to watch Max Duggan this season is, yeah, he can sling it, but he's not costed the team you know, too often right. either. He's been really smart with how he's run things. But yeah, just really happy. I mean, we, we TCU went in as an underdog, undefeated TCU against, you know, a six and three Texas team, went in as an underdog uh, and, and got the job done. It wasn't pretty, but, you know, a win's a win and 10 and 0 is 10 and 0 for, for the Horn Frogs. And just like you, I'm happy that TCU won. I didn't want Texas to win. I just thought they probably Me either. could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we had four ranked matchups in the FCS as well. Another bad slate of picks for the two of us. Uh, we'll start well, off I've with Rich- bloodbath on the picks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, we'll start off with Richmond at Delaware. I went with the Blue Hens just to mix things up, honestly. I thought this was a very even matchup on paper. Uh, ended up with all of Delaware's points coming in the fourth quarter. It was 21-13, and it didn't seem that close. Richmond uh, Richmond played very well. I, I don't know what else to say there. Uh, Richmond very well may win the CAA this year, the first year without James Madison. Uh, it's coming down to Richmond and New Hampshire, which we'll talk about in a second, but Richmond – yeah, this was an impressive win 
for them, I gotta say. Yeah, and, and I think in the preview when I was just sort of stat scout, scouting in my analysis, not being, you know, super familiar with the FCS, I was like, well, both these teams have sort of moved the ball pretty well on offense. This this might be a bit of a high scoring one as, you know, what what did it end up being in the end? 14 13 or something and, and Richmond won it with a field goal at the end. Yeah. 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 So like yeah. Uh, disappointing <laughs> for Delaware. But you know, sure. you leave it late and, and, and sometimes that's what happens. <laughs> Staying in the same conference though, Rhode Island at New Hampshire. The Wildcats pull this one out 31-28. New Hampshire has really impressed me this season. Just how they fought in their losses and the close wins they've had, it's been a real struggle. The CAA is a pretty dang good conference. I would say the third best in the FCS. And New Hampshire looking pretty good here. They won the second half by a lot. It was uh, very impressive the way they came back and fought hard in this game. I want to throw this out here just as a credit to New Hampshire. Uh, Their quarterback, Max Brosmer, is a redshirt sophomore. He has 2,300 yards, 19 touchdowns, five picks. Wow. That's interesting to me. If he can take care of the football and move it that efficiently, he might end up being able to get on some draft radar, maybe get on some transfer radar to the FBS level. There's a number of opportunities for him somewhere here new hampshire feels like they came out of nowhere max brosmer would be a great reason why yeah that's a hell of a record a hell of a stat line um and i believe this is another game we lost on a field goal at the end was it new hampshire i think this one yeah right at the end 31 28 (laughs) and right right down to the wire (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) So close, so close. <laughs> That's how this week went for you, man. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> little role reversal here. Samford at Chattanooga. I even said on the show, I thought Samford should win this game. I just picked Chattanooga because why not? Crazy things happen. And it felt mm. right in my gut. Uh, but Samford, Samford very much so won this game. It was 35-24 at the end. Yeah, Samford's a better team, though. You could really see it. The way Samford showed up on defense in that fourth quarter, too. Really impressive. The mocks, ah, that the back end of that defense is really concerning. I would say much worse than anticipated. A lot of people picked Chattanooga to win the Southern Conference this year. It's coming down to Samford and Furman. Uh, but I guess we'll roll right into that next game as well because we all picked Mercer to beat Furman. Furman pulled that one out 23-13. I didn't expect that at all out of Furman. Mercer had been the much better team on paper so far this year, Uh, but that's why we play the games, right? (laughs) I I did not expect that. Yeah, Yeah, no, and I I think this was the one I felt most confident with out of all the picks, and, you know, I wasn't particularly confident about any of them, but I thought, no, I've got (laughs) this one. This one seems like, you know, uh, an an easy case to close, but it was not, and um, I sort of followed along the score on this one live, and I thought, Mercer are not going to get anywhere near this. (laughs) Furman just seemed to be controlling the game. 
I got to say, most impressive performance out of that one. Furman's sophomore receiver, another sophomore at the FCS level impressing me. Uh, but Joshua Harris, 146 yards and a touchdown on only five catches. Wow. <laughs> what a stat line for that young man. Uh, very, very impressive moly. game. Uh, yeah. So Tug was the only one of us who did any good at the FCS level this week. Three and one. The rest of us, one and three. Pretty, pretty rough. I got to say that's two weeks in a row now where you can't trust my FCS picks. That feels bad. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we have three more games to talk about because we also picked games of the week. Uh, starting off with Bugs game of the week, Kansas State at Baylor. Definitely thought this was going to be closer than it ended up being. 31-3 to without Adrian Martinez. This was the backup quarterback leading Kansas State to a dominant win. Uh, Will Howard threw for three touchdowns, and Adrian Martinez is probably done for the season, unfortunately. But Kansas State appears to be rolling anyway. Yeah, I've I've got a bad feeling that Kansas State are going to – ruin our uh, perfect season once they get to the big 12 uh conference title game um i feel terrible for adrian martinez obviously um at the same time i do wonder like will howard you know does he actually put kansas state in a, in a better position to win especially now you know he's going to get a couple of weeks at the controls he came in uh, you know, uh, at short notice against the Frogs last time against the Bounty Frogs when we knocked the other quarterback out. Um, so now he's going to have time to settle in the system. And and I think Kansas State are a pretty good team. Um, yeah. I think they're a pretty solid lineup. Baylor have kind of been frisky at times this season, but I think they've been sort of found out in big spots, um, you know, by by the other sort of contenders in the league and i thought this was just another great example of that of like oh maybe baylor's kind of frisky oh no they're gonna get sort of stomped by kansas state 31 to 3 so yeah yeah <laughs> that's all you can say about that's that one sort of... yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my that's god su- this next game i thought we were close on this one i, I really know. thought as- we had it as surprising as I just said, Furman over Mercer was, this one was even more out of left field. I, I could not have predicted this in a million years. As San Diego State actually kind of blew out San Jose State, uh, I thought this was going to be a very close game with San Jose State coming out on top. No, uh, San Diego State, the Aztecs could, took control, never let it go. Wow. Wow. Um they scored 31 unanswered after the first quarter <laughs> and just kind of cruised from there. 43-27 ended up being your final. Well, even watching this game, I have no idea what exactly went wrong for San Jose State. It's just everything was working for the Aztecs. Mm. Yeah, and like, like I said, I, I – San Jose State sort of were, were around early. They were up early, I thought, and I thought, oh, we're, we're sort of in good position here. And I tuned out, um, went and mowed the lawns and stuff because I had I had a, a window of opportunity before the storms hit again and came back and I was like, what happened? What happened to our beautiful our beautiful lock? Um, <laughs> like, yeah, 
disappointing. Uh, I was really hoping San Jose State could could pull out the upset, but yeah, 31 an- unanswered points. You're not going to do much from there. Our last game, Chow 4, just because of the story, this one nobody expected to be a good game, and finally we were right this week. Uh, St. Thomas did shut out Stetson 23 to nothing. The St. Thomas Tommies are not eligible for the FCS playoffs, even though they have the record for it. They're nine and one. Um, <laughs> kind of ridiculous rules, got to say. They moved up two divisions in the NCAA, all the way to the level, and they're not allowed to compete for a championship. Kind of some dumb rules there, but, you know, it's still a great story, and hopefully they're still winning once that probation period is up. What a ridiculous rule. Like, I get it moving back the other way. If you're a team from an upper division going back, like, right. why why are you being punished for being good? For You know, you've, you've moved up two divisions, not just one, and right. you're still good. That, that's outrageous to me. Outrageous. So St. Thomas very well may win the Pioneer Conference, even without being eligible for the postseason. Uh, same with Merrimack over in the NEC. They might win their conference, even though they're moving up a division from Division Two to the FCS this season. So, uh, wow. Uh, let's get a move yeah. on, though. We're spending some time on college. Uh, Stonks Award goes to Tug for the best record this weekend. Uh, FCS really clutched it out for him. Gotta say, he is catching up. I hate it. I hate to see it. <laughs> but you crossing 500 Jesus, wins music. is incredible. That's wow. Over 500 yeah. correct picks for you. We need to start it, it, betting on some of these games. That's what I gotta say. <laughs> it meant too much to me. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those moments sometimes, you know. Like right. I remember playing tab- table tennis or ping pong, whatever you call it, with my family when I was a kid and we won a local championship, like a division three, and it meant too much to me. And I was kind of sad with myself <laughs> in hindsight. Like this this meant too much. So did this. It was kind of a bit of a shameful moment, really. This shouldn't mean that much to me, but it did. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I, I, by the way, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But so, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's look at our, the prospects to watch out for. <laughs> uh, Muhammad Ibrahim was my offensive prospect to watch out for this season. He still has yet to get under 100 yards in a game. Also put up three touchdowns in this game. Setting a new career best for touchdowns in a season. With a couple of games remaining on the schedule as well. Yeah, Teams are going to have questions about the tread left on the tires, uh, injury concerns, of course. But give him the ball. He is a workhorse back. And if he were in any other conference, you would have all of the all-conference honors and everything. Uh, unfortunately, he's behind Blake Corum and Chase Brown in yardage, still a top five running back in the, all of the NCAA. Uh, so maybe third team all-conference as one of the top five running backs in the country. Unreal. Ibrahim should be a name called in the draft. Really ought to be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to cross 20 touchdowns, you would imagine. 
um pretty easily (laughs) you know um crazy crazy numbers And, and as you said on the last episode like when he's not been injured it's just been a thousand yard seasons on the defensive side of the ball, Patrick O'Connell didn't play this week. Um, honestly, not the point of this segment. Not a players to watch this week. Just a players to watch out for in general. Having a great season and most likely getting saved for the big rivalry, the brawl of the wild coming up. Uh, and they That's definitely right. didn't didn't need him this week, beating Eastern Washington sixty three to seven in his absence. So Montana's doing okay. <laughs> uh, and Patrick O'Connell's having a heck of a season as well. Eight sacks for mm. him so far this season alone. Last year, 14 sacks for him. Unreal stats. Uh, even with sitting out a couple of games, he's still in contention for the Buck Buchanan Award this year. That's how good he has been. So uh, I really hope he gets an invite to like a senior bowl or you know East-West Shrine type of bowl um i expect that he will and i expect he'll perform really well because yeah he's he's a good linebacker (laughs) (laughs) what else can you say that yeah exactly i will say like their uniform i'm a uniform snob and i like uh the grizzlies uniform it's it's classic good the good maroon and silver very classy Mm. Uh, so moving on from college football, let's get into the XFL because we have some draft info. Mm. Uh, the draft will be held this week, like all this week, in Las Vegas. There's actually a couple of different elements here since we're basically restarting the whole league. So tomorrow, as in Tuesday, November 15, is the quarterback selection show. XFL teams have already made their picks on who their quarterbacks are going to be. This is actually more of a quarterback announcement show, uh, but separate from the whole draft because there's no reason to include quarterbacks in the draft pool when you're trying to fill out entire 50-man rosters. Uh, Let's just go ahead and kind of regionalize this thing and get quarterbacks sorted out beforehand. Uh, So we'll find out who the quarterbacks are tomorrow. Then, come Wednesday, we will have the XFL draft in snake order. This was a randomly drawn order for the draft. D.C. Defenders have the number one pick. Uh, Houston Roughnecks have the number eight pick and will also have the number nine pick then. Snake format we're all familiar with at this point. Um, There will be four position groups. I believe the rounds will alternate between the four. And there will be 11 selections out of each of the four groups. So teams will take 11 offensive skill positions. That's wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, fullbacks. They will take 11 mm-hmm. defensive backs. They will take 11 front seven players and 11 offensive line players. Then after that, on Thursday, we'll get to punters, kickers, long snappers, and then the open rounds. So there are 60 six, I believe, uh, training camp roster spots for each team. And then come the regular season, that'll be narrowed down to 50. So there can be quite a few open rounds if each team wants to make a selection. Not required to, but you're required to start with those 48. Uh, Quarterback, 11 of each of those groups, and then a punter, kicker, and long snapper. 
Bits is like awesome from my opinion. Like more football is great, but just it's kind of exciting when you start thinking about all these players sitting out there who you know aren't currently on a roster who have just been continuing to grind and train and try and stay sharp in case an opportunity comes up the idea that there's going to be what 400 active roster spots available um yeah. you know in this league yeah that's exciting for for, for 400 guys out there you know it's it's, yeah. it's huge and i think it's i think we're going to have to have some patience with this league I don't think everyone can, I don't think we should just be expecting, like I actually really enjoyed the last iteration of the XFL. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling this might have smaller beginnings. Um, I don't know why it's just a feeling I have. Um, and, but, but I think it can be built to, to something really special because I think some of these kind of partnerships they've built with the NFL, I think has it's been really smart. It's been smart. Yeah. You're not going to beat the NFL. So, join them in a sense you know create advantageous partnerships um i think it i think it really goes a long way to trying to ensure some longevity for the league and via that longevity of opportunity for players like we just said all these players who are out there trying to keep their dream alive i think it's i think it's a big deal for people so yeah hopefully hopefully people get on board and support it and also are patient with it while they do so if you are interested in the XFL draft, we will have a lot more coverage on this on Thursday's show when Bug comes back. Uh, he's our resident XFL expert and knows a lot more about this than I do. So I'm the basics here. But yeah. with that being said, it's time to move on to international football because the CFL playoffs are fully underway. The division winners have mm-hmm. been crowned. Uh, Toronto with a big win over Montreal to start us off the day. Uh, 34-27 ends up your final there. The Argonauts are moving on to the Grey Cup. Yeah, uh, big win for Toronto. Big crowd. I watched this game back this morning, actually. Um, I had like a 12-hour NFL binge yesterday, so nothing else got in, including daylight. Um, so, so today I thought I'm going to go back and I had a watch of the Argonauts and the Alouettes and this was such an even game, right. except for the first quarter, Montreal yeah. spotted the Argonauts like a 17, three, it might've even have been 24, three lead, um, before, uh, they were able to surge back. It was 14, three to the Argos after the first quarter. Thereafter, it was 10 points apiece scored in the second. Uh, Montreal outscored them 11 to 10 in the third, outscored them three to nothing in the last quarter. But really, the game to me came down to the fact that when they needed to close out the game, the Argonauts were able to to run. They were able to push the pile on that last drive. AJ Olette and Andrew Harris, particularly Olette, just a bruising kind of back. Um, he had six carries for 38 yards in the rushing game, but then two catches for 53 yards and a touchdown. They were able to get that lead early and then close it out late. Montreal played pretty well, except for that patch up front where they looked ang- a bit nervous. It was a big crowd. It was a loud crowd um, in Toronto. And I think that played well for the home side. Well, it looked like Montreal just really had no answer for that receiving threat out of the backfield. That's where 
yeah. probably the biggest difference lied in either of these teams' strategies here. Uh, Toronto is moving on here. Uh, the second matchup of the day, the BC Lions versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the reigning defending CFL champions, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, and they're moving on once again, 28 to 20 in this one. Nathan Rourke did throw those two interceptions for the Lions. That probably in itself is the difference in this one because everything else, again, very good game. Yeah, and, and and again, we talked earlier in the in the show about you know the the need to be able to run the football in the NFL at the college level, right. uh, and I think that the Lions are a little bit exposed in this game. There had been some talk about BC, could they play that playoff running game when mm-hmm. they needed to when their game is so built around the pass, and they couldn't. They had. Their leading rusher was Nathan Rourke, two carries for 20 yards. James Butler and Antonio Pipkin combined for nine carries for eight yards. They had just 28 yards rushing. Contrast that with the Blue Bombers, who were efficient in the passing game. Zach Kolaris, 14 of 20 for 178, a touchdown and a pick. Then on the ground, Brady Oliveira, 20 carries, 130 yards. And Dakota Prukop, seven carries, 37 yards and a touchdown. So... I think the best two teams have made the Grey Cup. I think Toronto can run the ball, and that's going to give them as good a chance as anyone to try and beat uh, Winnipeg, who are going to be aiming for three in a row. Yeah, the 109th Grey Cup this coming weekend. Be Really, two of the best teams in the CFL just in general, not just this season. Uh <laughs> Combined for 29 Grey Cup championships between them. Before Winnipeg went on this streak, Toronto got their most recent one as well. So these are the two most recent champions, actually, are facing off in the Grey Cup. This is actually the first time they've played each other in the Grey Cup championship since 1950 in a game that's now known as the Mud Bowl. (laughs) Really nasty a uh, snowy game. The ground turned to complete mush inside the first quarter. Toronto did end up winning that one 13 to nothing. And actually, crazily enough, Toronto has won every championship against Winnipeg when they play Winnipeg. Uh, six to zero all time in Grey Cups when these two meet. Maybe history repeats itself. Maybe Winnipeg gets another ring. Uh, this is, yeah, this is kind of a kind of a huge game for both both teams. Obviously, it's a championship game, but I mean, I mean, just uh, the season overall has been really impressive for both squads, and the culmination of a lot of a lot of great storylines here. Yeah, and and um, as I said last show, like as a Tie Cat supporter who saw the Blue Bombers beat the Tie Cats in the both the last two Grey Cups, um including last year at home in Hamilton when the Ticats had it on home soil and the Blue Bombers won. Like, you can have nothing but massive respect for how they've been able to retool and reload um, for these seasons because, you know, they lost key pieces this year and they've just gone again. Um, Toronto have a really good chance to upset them, but, you know, obviously we're not picking the game yet, but I, I, it would not surprise me at all 
if the Blue Bombers made it three in a row. They, they're just so experienced, you know. It's not every day you go into a, a championship game against a team that's been there the last two times. You know, it's, it's a lot of experience, a lot of familiarity with the stage that I think counts for a lot. Do you want to go ahead and make a pick for this one? Yeah, I will. I'm, I think Blue Bombers will get it done. I think they'll get it All done. Right. I think it'll be really close, but I, I think they're a bit of a team of destiny. Um, their coach and his, his name is slipping my mind, which is really annoying. Um, it's just done a great job um, with this team. Uh, Mike Riley, maybe? Rings a bell? No. Um, just done a great no, job Mike. building this team, building this <laughs> O'Shea, O'Shea, isn't it? It's Mike O'Shea. There you go. There you go. That's right. There you go. I was looking at that earlier today yeah. as well, and I couldn't remember. Yeah, O'Shea. He's just built a brilliant culture, I think, of winning. Um, yeah. I think it'll be a ripper game. So you pick Winnipeg. Um, I have no idea who to pick, so I'm actually going to flip a coin. Uh, how about you call it in the air? <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, heads. <laughs> it is it is tails. I'm going with Toronto. <laughs> okay. All right, there you go. <laughs> let's let's go organize. <laughs> yeah, very good. You know, it's it's the most nonsense ways to pick a game that usually end up working. So <laughs> that's, that's what I'm banking on. <laughs> but this has been a great show talking about football all up and down the entire continent of America at this point. Uh, <laughs> I think I right. should about do it for the show. Uh, I'll let you shout out some links before letting you get out of here. Uh, been quite the long one, but I know there'll be plenty of people listening who want to find you somewhere. Where can they do that? Uh, you can follow me at the JBSE on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, the Jake Botel sports experience is the podcast. So, yeah, lots of NFL content at the moment, but other sports as well across the year. And just my last little shout out is a big congratulations to the uh, University of Saskatchewan Huskies who won the Hardy Cup uh, on the weekend, I think in the snow again. Uh, so they advance into the next round of playoffs in the U Sports competition. They fell just short last year, um, <laughs> defeated in the championship game. So hopefully they can uh, take revenge this year. So, yeah, shout out to the Huskies. Well, definitely shout out to the Huskies. And also shout out to you. Thank you so much for filling in uh, for Bug and oh, Tug no over these past two episodes. It's been great talking to you. And also great listening to the Jake Botel Sports Experience. I think I showed you last year, your podcast was actually my number one on Spotify. So it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Love it. Yeah. No, look, ple pleasure to be on, mate. Really appreciate. Um, yeah. Really appreciate you having me on. And anytime, anytime, always a good, good opportunity to talk football. With that, I'll let you get out of here before I shout out some links of my own. Uh, basically, BDT football, everywhere you can think of, we're going to be located across Facebook. Twitter, our own website. Uh, think about BDC football. You can find us anywhere you look on YouTube and Twitch. Of course, we are big dudes in the trenches, all one word. And all those links will be down in the description, as well as Jake's links 
the Jake Botel Sports Experience, a great podcast. Definitely recommend it. Uh, next episode, at least, at least Bug will be back. I believe Tug should be back as well. We might be at full strength next episode. Uh, I I certainly hope so. As much as I love talking to Jake, uh, founded with two of my great friends, Tug and Bug, and I can't wait to see them again and talk to them about some fantastic games this coming weekend. Definitely stay tuned for that. I don't have a dad joke for you. I don't have a snap effect. I'm not that guy. I'm also not the guy to say whatever Tug's catchphrase is that I definitely know, but I'm not going to repeat. So I'll just get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great, great week.